Hello and welcome to another episode of GC Stories, the series where we speak to security services professionals with an extraordinary tale to tell. We're delighted to be back for a second season with a whole new set of incredible stories from familiar voices, who not only take us through their journeys, but also impart some wisdom and life lessons for us all. Now we like to think that all our episodes are unique and today's is no different. David Wright, Senior Project Manager in the Global Asset Owner and Management Product Delivery Team at HSBC, is also a Tweed Valley Mountain Rescue Team Leader. And what a dual role that is. He's been a volunteer in this role for 15 years and has, along with some of his 40 strong team, contributed to saving lives and making the outdoors a safer place for the public. Here he discusses some of the rescues he's participated in, the life lessons he's picked up from a decade and a half in the team, and the importance of teamwork and communication. And what an interesting story Dave's is, and what a great example this is of balancing your full-time job with something else that's so demanding and high-pressured. We really hope you enjoy this episode of GC Stories. Dave Wright, welcome to the podcast. Hi John, thanks for having us on. Great to be here. Good. Looking forward to the episode. Um, now, am I right in thinking that at any time in this recording, you could be whisked away, called into into duty? <laughs> yeah, pre- pretty much. Um, it's 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 kind of how it, how it rules. And I mean that in terms of the mountain rescue team, as opposed to HSBC. Um, I'm not sure you have any emergencies there they'll call you away for. Some, but hopefully not today. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Well, uh, um, look, like I say, I'm looking forward to this. I think it's a, a real unique episode. I don't think we've had anyone on the series doing anything like you've done or you do and, and probably won't again. So I guess we should start at the beginning, shouldn't we? And uh, and talk a little bit about how you got into the rescue team, where it all started. Okay, so I've I've been been a member of the, the the Tweed Valley Mount Rescue Team, which is is a voluntary search and rescue team in in, in southern Scotland for um, coming up to fifteen years now. And really, it started when when I came up to university. Uh, I moved from Newcastle to to Edinburgh um, to study, and um, I was doing my Duke of Edinburgh's award at the time. I moved up, and then I moved into um, doing some award award scheme leadership to help take other kids out on on their expedition section which I really enjoyed it was really good to see you know um young people develop as as, as they moved through the award and then I was out on an expedition and I saw this blue uh, this blue transit van with it was it had mount rescue on the side and uh, I was like I wonder you know I didn't want I didn't realize there was a mount rescue team in the in the area we're walking and 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 two I, I wondered what what the guys were up to and you know i left it for a couple of years and 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 then probably in oh wow what would have been um 2006 or something um i was still doing duke and award scheme leadership but i wanted to do something a bit different and and my memory was drawn back to you know the, the mount rescue team and and would would there be a potential to do something you know that still involved the outdoors but something something a bit different so i went through the application process um had an introductory night where they dispelled any myths about um, what I might have thought the team um, w- was involved in. I think at, at the outset, I thought the, there'd be a lot of, you know, hanging off cliffs with your fingernails and, and things like that. And that absolutely, it, it, it it's not the case at all. Certainly, certainly not in our team. From there, I, I, I sort of developed a, a, a sort of a, a, a pathway of, of dealing with sort of incident management and search management, um, and I'm, I'm now 
you know, team team leader of the team. So you know, we've 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 around forty volunteers, just over forty volunteers, and and I'm I'm team leader for for my sins. Wow. So what what's uh, what kind of skills and, and people uh, is the team made up of? Is it a variety? The team's really really diverse. Um, obviously, I work in 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 the finance industry. Um, we've got teachers. We've got people who work in forestry. People who work on a big sort of um, uh, land estates, land managers. We've got architects. We've got a huge diverse range of people. Obviously, there's a diversity in their professional lives, but also within the team, there's the skills diversity as well. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before that I specialize in incident management, search management, and, and tend to sort of steer myself towards the digital side of things. But we've got medics in the team, um, folk who specialize in sort of outdoor medicine. Um, and we've, we've got people who look at technical sort of rigging, so really technical rope stuff. Um, and I'm definitely not an expert in, in, in that regard, I can tie a few knots, but there's people who who are way, way above uh, sort of my skill set in, in that regard. And what, what's really, really good about the team is that when we get together, whether whether it's for training or, or, or for a call out, an incident, we're all trying to achieve that same goal of, of resolving the situation. So all those skills just naturally mesh together. Um, and there's no, there's no sort of politics involved. There's no... Um, Obviously, everyone's got a personality, but everyone's laser focused on that target outcome. Like you say, everyone's got a personality. There must be a, a, a kind of similar trait. Is it is it an outdoory kind of personality that that you obviously had from doing the Duke of Edinburgh Award and um, being out and seeing the mountain rescue? Yeah, you're right, and I, I think everybody loves the outdoors in in one respect to the other. I mean, I'm a I'm a walker. Um, Scottish winter mountaineering from time to time is probably the the most extreme I've pushed myself. But there's folk who've done. Um, expeditions all 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 across the globe who 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 live in our teams patch and, and volunteer and um, we've got kayakers we've got some really skilled mountain bikers and we've got just general you know outdoor enthusiasts people who like to go walking in their local area who who've give up a bit of time so you don't have to be some sort of super athlete with with a massively specialist skill set to become involved in the team and that's good to know actually isn't it because we've had guests on the podcast that have done these, these incredible walks across deserts and uh you, you know across continents and things like that so it's obviously a good opportunity for anyone that just just wants to help or uh you know has an interest in it to, to join up and, and you find a role for them absolutely i think you know the w- one of the w- when i i'm not the fastest going up hills I, I do a little bit of running not too much um but certainly when i joined the team i was thinking i was going to be measured against some sort of real sort of superhuman standards and it, it just wasn't the case you know mm. it's 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 a bunch of you know fairly average people with a unique skill set i think i'm going to move into those questions now that i imagine everyone at a dinner party asks you everyone at your work asks you but um <laughs> it's not quite standard <laughs> but you know and i joked about it at the start but could you be called away at any minute are you on call now and Obviously, we were chatting before, and you did say that there was a little incident earlier, which we almost co- co- coincided with. <laughs> it, it it did, and and we've had um, so so the nature of mount rescue. So you know, in in the UK, the police have primacy for land based search and rescue, and that means that they're in charge. They call out the voluntary resources, such as mount rescue, um, to go to go deal with search and rescue incidents. And we haven't had an incident for, for four or five weeks. It's It's been quite a quiet time for us. And then at 12.19 this afternoon, um, I got the text message. And oh, it's it's always geared when you've got something when you've got something planned. It just seems to land. 
and and the job this afternoon was um, a 14 year old had come off their mountain bike in the middle of a forest. Um, they'd hit the head. They'd been unconscious, and the ambulance service were having difficulties getting to um, the place where that 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 kid was. And and our team was called in. Now, fortunately, we stood down within 15 minutes because other people who were in the local area managed to work with the ambulance service to get the to to get the casualty out of out of the predicament they were in. So we we stood down. So that incident was stood up and wrapped up probably for us in about in about 20 minutes. And that that was a good result because. As soon as you, especially with mountain bikers, you're talking about high speed. Mechanism of injury could lead to some pretty life-changing, um, uh, life-changing injuries. You know, high speeds into hitting a tree, that sort of thing. Um, but in 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 general, we'll get called out 40 times a year, so it it is fairly regular. But you can you can almost guarantee it'll be at three o'clock in the morning. It'll be raining, and it'll be pretty unpleasant outside. Um, Bad things don't tend to happen to people on nice sunny sunny days. Well, that that's not strictly true. We obviously, you know, the nicer the weather, the more people in the hills. But like you say, just just the way sometimes when you're you're least prepared or least wanted to happen. But uh, and then you must uh, you must have to base your life and job around that in some ways. Like you say, it's not you know forty a year. It's it's not um, you know really tying you to it. But but you must have to be aware that at any time you could be called out how do you plan your job and life around that yeah so so um you know being a member of a mountain rescue team it's pretty disruptive um and by its very nature we don't know when we're going to get called out what um what the incidents will be and how long they'll go on for and what we um you know it it can mean you make small changes to your um life or you change your lifestyle a little bit you know something like making sure your phone's probably always got at least 75% charge because if you need to leave the house, it's no good going out with sort of 10% battery. Um, make, making sure your car's got fuel in it because if you get a call out at three in the morning, yeah. um, the, the chances are finding the petrol station isn't, isn't um, one, the, the, the petrol stations aren't going to be open and, and two, you don't really want to stand around filling the car for 10 minutes whilst there's somebody, somebody needing help. Um, so in, in turn, you know, on a personal level, dealing with a family, you know, I've got a wife and two kids and we can have plans. We could be going out for dinner. We could be going swimming um, all the sort of things that, um, you know, the kids get excited for. Sometimes we have to change our plans and make new promises and manage their expectations. So there's a fine balance there about, um, you know, how much disrupting you bring into your family life um, from, from a work perspective. Yeah. Um, again, it's. Um, I think the, the the key thing for me is it, it it kind of helps keep on top of what I'm doing because I'm always at the back of my mind thinking, you know, um, if something big happens, will I be in the office tomorrow? Um, and there will be times where I absolutely can't get away. Um, but it 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 kind of forces you to keep on your toes in terms of in terms of workload. Um, and you, you you can't really afford to get into a position where oh, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow because that you might not be in the office um but the you know we've we've got a great great set of colleagues um great support great team and and if something does happen then you know the the people i work directly with all all know about the disruptive nature of of, of mount rescue and um they they help share the workload when when i when i do need to um disappear and um, or if if there's been an overnight call out, if I come back and and perhaps I'm not um, as fully awake as what I normally would be, 
um, I remember coming back from a job. Um, I had uh, a reasonably important meeting at nine o'clock. Um, the job had concluded and uh, it had come in at about nine o'clock the night before. So I'd been up all night um, and I was still quite awake at nine, you know, five to nine, coming back in the house, switch the work computer on. I'm literally sitting in my walking boots um, going through the, 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 this meeting. And then I had a coffee um, I had a break for an hour and a half and then logged on and started doing, you know, some, some more administrative type type work. So it's it, it's a constant balance, but um, really really good support from both work and and family. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I, like I say, the commitment, and I, I really like the story about yeah, why you did it. It's 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 nicer. It's it's a nice kind of romantic uh, way of getting into it, isn't it? Really remembering seeing the the vehicle and uh, and that sticking with you. But you said you're 15 years into it. What kind of one of my burning questions for you is why do you keep going with it you know what what is in it still for you um and what keeps you going for doing it for so long yeah i think the you know there's there's a couple of things one the group of people who make up the team are um good mates they they genuinely are you know we we socialize we um train together and we we go through some pretty tough times together um but actually i can't imagine not being part of that team um in terms of the 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 ability to to respond does create buzz and excitement you know even at three o'clock in the morning when when your phone makes a very specific ringtone you're instantly awake um you know i'm probably more awake when my my phone goes off for a mountain rescue job at 3 a.m than i am at maybe seven quarter past seven getting up for a normal normal work day because there's no hit the snooze button um you, you've got to be pretty much on your a game as 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 as, as soon as that um, that alert comes through and yeah you mentioned the nature of going to rescue someone from a forest you mentioned that the the debusting of the myths that it's not hanging off cliffs um yeah what, what are some of the most common techniques used and and kind of incidents you have to respond to and then how how does one in the mountain rescue team go and uh, go and respond when called out? Yeah, I think I think you know th- what people think about when they hear about mountain rescue is big, jaggy peaks, sort of snow-covered slopes and avalanches and thing and things like that. But actually, the reality in my team's patch, which is, which is in the uh, the south of Scotland, we've got very sort of rolling hills. Um, we've got a big mountain biking community. It's it's a tourism hotspot for mountain biking, which brings its own particular set of injuries um we have a lot of walkers horse riders um and and i think what what will probably surprise probably quite a few listeners is that we also have a number of um big country houses that are old folks homes now and all older folk with with dementia and the like um they sometimes go wandering and um because of the nature of these these old country houses, they're instantly into some very remote sort of areas, which need uh, which need quite heavy resources. Um, so our team get called out to do land-based searching um, for not only folk who might be suffering from dementia, but those with mental health issues. Um, you know, if if somebody has um, potentially said that they they're going to hurt themselves, then the mountain rescue team will will get brought in to support the police in in the search for that missing person. Um, and I think we've, you know, that surprises a lot of people because the instant reaction is that 
that's not somebody who's been taking part in an outdoor activity, but actually they are out of doors and the outdoors becomes a very big place very quickly. Um, you know, one of, my, one of my first searches was searching a golf course towards the north of Edinburgh. Um, and, you know, you think, golf course, why is Mountain Rescue there? But if you think how big a, mouth, uh, a golf course is, and if somebody is lying down, then that, that and it's dark, that becomes a very difficult scenario for somebody to be found in. Um, yeah, yeah. And, so, yeah, and and you know, so in terms of like specialisms and and you asked about the techniques and how we train and stuff. Um, we've got uh, a control vehicle, which is um, it's a Mercedes Sprinter, um, and and that's our mobile mobile office. It's got radios, it's got a printer, it's got computers in it, it's got a briefing area, and we've got two um, specially equipped uh, Land Rover four by four ambulances which we can, one, transport people around in, but also um, load casualties into on a stretcher and, and bring them off. And then we've got technical kit. I mentioned you know, earlier that we do a lot of rigging um, and rope work. We've got a huge range of kit to deal with a, a number of uh, different different scenarios. Um, and that's that's another great thing about the team is we're so so flexible in how we we approach things. We apply whatever learning that we've had very dynamically to the situation we we're, we're faced with yeah uh, it sounds like you have such a variety of incidents and, and situations and yeah you've mentioned a couple of stories already are there any others that, that really stick out in your mind as um uh, you know ones that you'll remember once you're you know you finish with the whole um rescue team and and i don't mean to lure you into telling anything particularly uh you know dramatic but uh just just any of the thing that stands out for you really i, th- I think i think one of the one of the stories that i'll certainly carry with me will was uh it was about i think a year past november and there was um half nine in the morning um i got the text message through as team leader as team leader at the time and it was two missing nine-year-old boys, um, which always sparks an interest. You know, that is a, you know, you talk about high-risk missing people, high-risk misspairs. Um, two nine-year-old boys, the story was that they'd been dropped off um, by the, by whoever was looking after them, the carer, um, and the carer had seen them walk towards the school reception. And once the school had done their registers and, and the like, they realised that the boys weren't in the class. Um, the school's got a particular, you know, a, a protocol that um, escalates that those sort of things very quickly. Um, the carer said that they'd been dropped off at school. The school said they hadn't arrived. And what I think I remember about that particular job, one was, you know, how quickly we were brought in as the the, the, the search and rescue team, and how quickly it escalated. And it, it was a small village, and I had never or not very often seen so many police cars in the one place and the amount of resource that got drawn in very quickly was phenomenal and we got the um a really high response from our team members um and because of the 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 nature of the incident um asked the um the area commander for the police if i could draw in resources from the other rescue teams that that surrounded us so there's this huge mutual support um, and I drew in resources from um, four other mountain rescue teams, sorry, three other mountain rescue teams. So there was four resources from four mountain rescue teams on the ground 
and I'd had text messages and um, phone calls from other teams going, do you want us to come in? And I was like, well, we've got enough. We've got about 80 volunteers. So as well as the people from the village who had 80 Mount Rescue volunteers who all need managed, and very quickly you're starting to gear up for the phase two. So what if these boys aren't found? Um, the people that you've had out during during the course of the day are probably going to be tired and will need relieved at some point. So you start creating an, an immediate backfill plan, um, utilising the teams who, who have offered up support. Um, and I think what, what strikes me about that is that, you know, we, we've got this huge community of professionally trained volunteers who will just attend at a drop of a hat, no questions asked. They'll stop what they're doing and they'll come out to, to assist. Um, the two boys were fine. Um, they, uh, they they had um, waited and, and, until the, the car that was dropping them off had, um, had driven away and um, they decided to run away from school for the day to have a little adventure of their own. Wow. <laughs> um, which, and they, they got about five kilometres away from where they were dropped off and they were actually found by an undercover wow. <laughs> uh, police car. Yeah. Um, so, you know, can you fault their sense of adventure? <laughs> Pro- yeah. Probably not. So you needed all, all that help then, didn't you, just to cover that amount yeah. of ground? <laughs> and, 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 and in reality, you know, if, if you think about what we call the point last scene, um, which is where, where we start mm. planning our, our search activity, if you, you imagine concentric circles of five kilometres, that's a huge, huge area. And, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the chances of finding, um, find somebody in that area, um, it, it's in the potluck by, by that stage, but yeah, it, a really good outcome, but a really good demonstration of how, how we all stand up. Yeah, and it must be a mix of uh, the the adrenaline and the worry, but also the focus you need to have because you know how important your role is in a situation like that. It, it must be a real mix of kind of emotions and, and feelings as you as you're conducting it. I think the when when you get the initial message through um, for something that's particularly um, something that you can relate to, having two kids, you can start going, "Oh wow, what if what if that was mine?" Well, actually, it's not yours. You know, yours are at school. And mm. you've just got to focus the mind on dealing with the job in hand. And the first thing you think about, what's the scenario? What resources have I got at my disposal? What else do I need? You know, what's my gold standard? Well, in this case, I want search dogs. I want helicopters. I want as many boots on the ground. I want somebody organizing the people who live in the village. And I don't want to be that person because I'm looking after the MRT. So I'll have some specific asks of the police as, as well. And, and those actions might already be taken care of. But we've got a really good working relationship with mm. with with the with the police on um sort of bigger bigger jobs like that. Yeah, I, obviously it's been you've been in the the team a long while, but uh, over that time, what have you learned about I guess yourself, but also in terms of, of leadership skills and then kind of lessons in leadership from your own experiences and seeing others around you. Yeah. Um. I think it's to to respect the individual, and um, we we talked about the diverse nature of the team, um, and and this this has played a huge part in how I, I try and operate at work. Is you know whatever, um, look look at what a particular person's core skills are and what what they can bring and how those how how that person's skills can be applied to the situation, and that's that's really really important because 
if you if you don't recognize that then you could put the the, the wrong resource in the wrong place um and and you wouldn't operate as effectively um so i know that i've got in the team i've got search managers who will um sit around the planning table with me i know i've got party leaders so people who can provide really strong leadership to sort of small groups of maybe um four to six searchers um and it and it's understanding those skill sets and really um getting the best out of people or or, or trying to get the best out of people to 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 get that end end result and outcome mm-hmm. Last question I'd ask you uh, before we get into the questions that we ask all the guests is that if someone's out there listening to this, and it might not necessarily be the mountain rescue they're going to join, but they might be thinking, "Hey, yeah, Dave's done fifteen years of volunteering in this service. Yeah, what what is out there for me? I mean, what um, yeah, what would you say to someone maybe consider, considering a voluntary service like this, or, or, or yeah, some something of a similar ilk? Um, you, you know." What, what would you do to kind of urge them to do it and, and, and any advice around it? Yeah, definitely, definitely urge them to do it and, and make sure that they, they under, understand the commitment. There's so many fascinating stories about um, people who who volunteer and, you know, whether it be working, you know, I know people who work at or volunteer at homeless shelters, who volunteer at food banks and, and the like. Um, I think the key difference here is that mountain rescue and, you know, um, search and rescue and, and lifeboats they're volunteer responders. So whilst if you are a volunteer for another charity, you might have a set time and a rota where you can where you can um, turn up. If you're a volunteer responder, it's, it's a lot more unpredictable as, as we touched on earlier. And I think, you know, offer up your skill set and don't um, go along for a chat, make, make that contact, have, have chat with, with, with your local team um, and and think about whether it's right for you or, or not. I did read read somewhere a few years ago that I, I think the the average length of time somebody volunteers with a particular charity is between two and three years. Um, we've got people in our team who volunteered for forty years, um, and that's that's a long a long a long time. Um, I, I think the, the, there's a running joke in our team that you know until you've done ten years service, you you're still a newbie. Um, and that's it, it's it, it's quite different to 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 sort of the the normal work environment. Um, it's it's a lot of layers of skills to be built up over over a reasonably long period of time. But in terms of volunteering, if if anyone's listened to this, then you know go go for it. Absolutely. Obviously, it's it's inspirational hearing about what you do um but, you know regardless of the fact you've done it for 15 years and i think right now yeah the reason we started this podcast was was to provide people with maybe some inspirational motivation and a, a bit of a tricky time for for everyone and, and maybe people have kind of reconsidered things like volunteering in this time as they spent more time at home and and you know the, the world has changed around them but uh but yeah david i think your, your story is certainly inspirational and uh, i really appreciate you sharing it now We've got three questions that we ask everyone uh, to finish off the episode. And the first one is who from within the security services world has inspired you? It, it's, that, that's a really tough question. Um, and I'm desperate trying not to, to dodge it, but I think, you know, if everyone, everyone has a story, everyone, everyone, um, no matter what they do in our business, they've all they've all got a backstory. When you speak to people who 
um, who you work with and who you connected to, you start to realise that there's so many stories of sort of courage, overcoming adversity, um, and in- incredible resilience. It's 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 not necessarily the um, the, the 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 sort of the, the global leaders of our business who are introducing cutting edge new products and, and the like. I think the the real inspiration um, for me is 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 the the, the, the personal stories that that relate to everybody because everyone has their own challenges um and it's just recognizing that and again going back to how how can we how can we work with the skills that the people have to deliver what we need to great thanks and where and where is inspiration from outside your professional life come from yeah, i think my my parents provide a lot of inspiration as I was growing up, you know, always ensuring that opportunities were, were there for me to explore and support decisions I made along the way. Um, but I think in, re- in recent years, um, I've got two kids who are nine and five and they are really inspiring. You know, the pace at which they learn um, and the tenacity and the perseverance when trying to do something new is, is, is really um really inspiring you know that it's proper feel fast recover quickly approach and you know anyone who's who's watched a toddler go from being completely immobile to learning to crawl and walk will will understand what i'm what i'm getting at there um so i think you know look at look at what the kids are doing and and, and try and draw some lessons uh, lesson lessons from that i think and dave just finally what's the biggest life lesson you've learned that you would like to pass on to others in 2010, um, my wife and I were, were this before we had kids. We were working in the same office. Um, we got made redundant, and we took the opportunity to um, travel the world for six months. Um, and I quickly realised that when we're heading from place to place, there was a lot of travel days, um, and it, you know, really sort of, it came home that you got to enjoy that journey um, when going from A to B. Um, and I try and apply that now to daily life. You know, you, you both personal and professional. Getting the destination is great. You know that that end game, fantastic. But make the most of whatever the journey looks like along the way. I love that, and it ties in very well to the rest of your conversation. Because enjoy the journey from A to B, and if anything goes wrong on that journey, Dave will come and rescue you and help you out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so very nice ending well look Dave I really enjoyed hearing the story like I said I think it is really inspirational um, you know uh, I'm sure people will feel more comfortable out there uh, in the wilderness knowing there's, there's people like you and your, your team around and uh, yeah, um, I, yeah I hope you've got 25 more years in you as well for, <laughs> to hit that 40 year mark fingers, fingers crossed <laughs> brilliant well look Dave I say, fantastic having you on the show today uh, thanks very much for your time and uh, all your stories yeah, no bother at all. That that's grand. 